Tips for Travellers provides inspiration, advice and tips about finding and having a luxurious travel experience. It covers destinations, transportation, accommodation, attractions and journeys. I'm Gary Bembridge and I launched the Tips for Travellers podcast in 2005 to share with travellers my learning on how to make the most of their time in every international destination I visit. For the last 20 years, I've been travelling almost every month of every year to exciting destinations all around the world. Thanks to my global marketing job, it takes me to destinations on every continent. The air miles I earn while doing that helps to take me to even more destinations for vacation. Tips for Travellers shares that learning. Visit www.tipsfortravellers.com for more information. Remembering that Travellers is spelt with two L's the UK way. So you can probably hear the sea there uh, and a little bit of wind. We're on the crossing from Southampton to New York on the Queen Mary 2. And this is the second in a series of observations that I'm recording actually live on the crossing. I've come back inside because it's a bit too noisy outside. If you want to hear the first part of the observations that I've recorded on board, you can listen to the first podcast. And in that, I talk a little bit uh, about uh, the sea, the conditions, uh, some of the safety aspects, preventing norovirus, which is a big issue, uh, the Enlightenment program, dealing with seasickness and a few things like that. In the second set of observations, we're going to explore more uh, stuff that I will record on the crossing. We'll perhaps talk to some passengers with advice and tips. We'll probably look at the actual passenger mix. We're going to look at the food. And uh, also what I've been doing on board, which will not be part of this podcast, will be a separate podcast, is I've been interviewing some of the crew about the behind-the-scenes experience. So this one, again, is going to be much more of observations from a passenger perspective. I'll also play some various clips that I've recorded of some of the activities and events around the ship on the crossing. And so you can really immerse yourself. As I said, as a separate set of podcasts will be actual interviews with some of the important members of the crew. So let's get back to the crossing and let's enjoy the experience and observations of crossing the Atlantic on Queen Mary 2. So here I am on the deck of the Queen Mary 2. We're on the crossing from Southampton to New York and I am with a Cunard Platinum World Club member, which means they've travelled, I think it's about 70 nights or eight journeys or something, and it's Mark Sanford, and I'm going to ask him some thoughts and observations about crossing the Atlantic on the Queen Mary 2. So Mark, if you were to give some advice or a tip to someone who's considering going on a transatlantic crossing on Queen Mary 2, what would that be? I think it would be to do it, because it's so much fun. It's really nice way to cross the Atlantic you have busy days with lots going on and it's very relaxing so what would be a tip or tips that you would give to people once they're on board a crossing and at sea for seven days in order to make the most of a crossing well every day there's a daily program with details of what's on during the day so have a look at that see what you want to do and then fill in the gaps with going to the gym, having afternoon tea, sitting on the deck, whatever you want to do. So what is the one downside, if there is any, of doing a crossing uh, on the Queen Mary 2? 
Well, if you're doing it in December like we just have, it can be the seas can be fairly rough, um, and it has been a bit stormy on this trip, so you have to get your sea legs. But um, other than that, it's great. And so, what? How did you, would you like to just run through like what an average day for you would be on a crossing? Yeah. So, get up, have some breakfast, have a bit of a stroll around the deck, uh, weather permitting. Um, then normally there's some talk going on they have various speakers throughout the week who come and give talks you might go to one of those go to the gym before lunchtime have some lunch in the afternoon maybe a bit of relaxation another talk um, maybe a little afternoon nap before your dinner and then show and casino great well thank you very much Mark and we'll let you get back to enjoying the crossing commercials and posters for cruisings and particularly for crossings Cunard focuses very much on the heritage and the image of the grand voyage of the glory days of transatlantic crossings they focus on the rich the famous and the celebrities that made the crossing in all those years gone by and in fact through the heritage halls around the ship there are massive posters that celebrate this with beautiful black and white images of the famous that have traveled on crossings these are images that were taken on board on old Cunard ships like the Queen Mary, the Queen Elizabeth. And what amused me actually is one of the brochures that was sitting on the table in the medical center while people were waiting to see the nurse to get anti-seasickness jabs on the first day at sea when we were passing through a storm and all people were feeling seasick actually read, feel famous, travel on Cunard. And though most felt very ill, I really kind of thought it was probably good to sort of reflect on the passengers on the ship, you know, are they famous or are they feeling famous? Of course, the reality of modern cruising is there are a lot of ships, there's a lot of competition, there's a lot of berths to fill. And the reality is that the mix of passengers on Cunard Crossing is very diverse and they're quite hard to classify. And particularly the winter crossing, because it does give Cunard a big challenge because crossing at winter is quite a hard sell. It's going to be cold, both in the day and night. 
and so people can't sort of hang around on the decks. It is likely to be stormy uh, for at least a day, if not for large parts of the crossing as it was on this crossing. It's just the reality of nature. And of course, you know, times are tight. But you don't have to fill this ship with 2,600 passengers roughly uh, to get the ship to New York. And the reason they go to New York now is they have a very important cruise over Christmas and New Year where they travel from New York to the Caribbean and it's a big premium cruise. You know, they, it's always sold out. It's very popular. And, you know, when you think about, say, the Titanic, you know, you, you, the film gave this image of, you know, very rich, very fabulous people, brochures, tend to have very youthful, beautiful people. You know, most people, when they think of cruising, they still think of old ladies, grey-haired, fuddy-duddy couples, unadventurous travellers that need a lot of kind of molly-coddling. And, you know, clearly some of those people are on, you know, the passengers on board are crossing. But there's, there's some other kind of aspects to it, and I thought I'd just reflect a little bit on the kind of the different types of people. Celebrity. You're unlikely, unlikely to see a lot of celebrity on a crossing. You know, George Bush Sr. has been on, you know, Rod Stewart's been on, John Cleese has been on. There's a couple of band members that fear flying will use, uh, you know, the Queen Mary too. The reality is celebrities tend to fly because they're busy and whatnot. You will, though, often on a crossing, uh, in fact, almost on every crossing, have some kind of celebrity guest speaker. So, for example, Celia Emery is uh, an actress that was on the crossing that, that I'm recording this on. You know, Sir David Frost has been on, John Cleese has been on, you know, those kind of people have been on. The other thing that's very interesting is this massive diversity of people. You know, some people on board the crossing will be, you know, perhaps traveling in an inside cabin or a cabin with a porthole, and they will have paid less than a cost of, say, a two-hour return business class flight to Barcelona. They may have paid 500, 600 pounds, you know, $750, $1,000 per person for seven nights for all their food. But at the same time, you've got people traveling in these massive two-story deluxe apartment style suites, and they've paid maybe £25,000, $35,000 per person. So the mix of passengers and, of course, the fares that they're prepared to pay for these huge range of cabins and suites is enormous. So you will have a mix of people on board reflecting that, very wealthy people, you know, more value-conscious people. Now, the ship's not segregated, you know, like the Titanic or even the old Queen Elizabeth or Queen Mary. You know, basically, pretty much most of the ship is just for all passengers. There is a slight nod to segregation because uh, if you travel Queen's Grill, you have a specific dining room, which is kind of the first class, if you like, kind of biggest suites. Princess Grill, which you could equate to like a business class on a plane, sort of mid-sized uh, suites. You, they, Princess Grill have their own dining room. Or if you're traveling Britannia, which is the vast amount of ship, you know, you could say that coaches that economy on a plane. Um, you know, they each have their own dining rooms and you have to eat in that dining room. There is a lounge, there's a concierge lounge, is a deck which is available for girls' passengers, but pretty much the ship is not segregated. It's pretty much integrated. So you know, if you go to the theater to see a show, you know, you might be sitting next to someone who's paid $35,000 uh, in one of the big suites or perhaps, you know, someone's there for a cheap, in a relatively expensive booze and food bargain. Those, most of the passengers are likely to be over 50. Uh, the crossing of the Atlantic appeals to a much broader type of traveller. The average age of passengers is still quite high, probably a, you know, 50s, early 60s range. A lot of couples who seem to be of the age, you know, the children are growing up, they've left home, 
you, you know they have the money they have the time either retired or soon to retire you you don't see a lot of much more elderly elderly people or more frail people and i think that's probably because you know the movement of the boisterous of the boisterousness of the sea probably puts off those who are less steady in terms of uh, nationalities it's very dominated by british and americans you know for example on the crossing we had about 65% of the passengers were British, about 20% were American. If you're heading the other way, you probably have more Americans, but it's still very much a kind of a UK, US uh, passenger mix. You, the Canadians, the Australians, the Germans are usually well represented between 50 and 100 passengers, uh, you'll often find. They tend to be experienced cruisers. I think it's because before people go on a, you know, a crossing, they need to make sure they're gonna enjoy spending seven days at sea so you'll tend to find they tend to be more experienced cruisers and they also know that if the sea gets rough they know how they handle it you know what they do if they feel a bit queasy or they know that they don't get seasick so they don't have any of that fear a couple of other really interesting kind of groups of people gay couples gay men particularly on every crossing i've ever done there's always been a very large amount of gay men couples on board sometimes also lesbian couples but a lot of gay men uh, I don't know why. I know there's a number of gay travel agents that promote and run group bookings for crossings, but there's there's you know a, a surprisingly large large cross section of gay couples of all ages on board. You know, sort of late twenties, thirty somethings. You know, all ages. They have a Friends of Dorothy, which is an informal gay meeting on board at five o'clock every day. They're quite popular, but I, I shouldn't think they almost need to have that meeting because th- there's enough gay men. Uh, gay couples around that you know people wanted to meet other gay couples they could very easily just around the ship and it seems that the whole ambiance and the passengers and the crew create an environment that's very welcoming and non-threatening linked to that solo travelers you often find on a crossing there's there's quite a lot of solo travelers now Cunard has is known for catering for particularly solo women travelers especially on world cruises and they have things like gentlemen uh, hosts that will be available to dance with uh, solo women travelers but on every crossing and the winter ones especially I've always seen quite a lot of solo travelers of both sexes now maybe because on a winter crossing the fares are often discounted much more so actually even though you're paying a premium for having a cabin for just one it's 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 kind of affordable the other two groups is commuters there's always a fair smattering of people who are commuting to New York and the US for Christmas and the New Year so they'll get off the ship spend Christmas and New Year while the Queen Mary 2 heads down to Caribbean, rejoin the ship and head back to Southampton because Queen Mary 2 will head back to Southampton because then it sets, you know, starts on its, its world uh, voyage uh, once it returns after Christmas. Families, there's a spattering of families, not a huge amount of families on a winter crossing and summer, of course, in school holidays, much more so. At winter, very few kids because the crossing starts before the school holidays. Um, there's kids kids clubs and various groups I'm guessing maybe only 30 or so kids in total on board if there's more then they've kept very well hidden busy by the kids club you know the crossing has a massive range of fares passengers will reflect that very diverse you know very wealthy people very value conscious people very UK and American dominated but it's very welcoming so solo travelers gay couples people of all ages seem to feel very comfortable and very welcome and you don't feel any way left out or isolated there's lots of events and functions and ways of kind of 
being very inclusive. It's a very interesting jumble of people. It would, of course, be nice to have more rich and famous and celebrity of the days of old to bring back that you know, romance and glamour that we all kind of imagine when we think of ocean liner travel and crossing the Atlantic. I'm now going to hand you over to our third officer, Chris, who's going to tell, tell you all about ocean liners. Thank you, Captain, and a very good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Today, I'd like to talk to you about ocean liners and the fated voyage of the Titanic. An ocean liner is a vessel designed to transport people or cargo along regular long-distance maritime routes according to a schedule. They possess reinforced hull plating and a high freeboard to withstand the rough seas and adverse weather conditions that may be encountered in the open ocean and that you have had the joy of experiencing on this particular voyage. The first regular transatlantic passenger service was established by the Black Ball Line in 1818, with many other companies quickly following suit, including Cunard, who commenced service in 1840 with their first liner, Britannia. However, the world's most famous ocean liner, with perhaps the exception of our Queen Mary II, is that of the Titanic, built, by, built in the Harland and, at the time, Wolf shipyard in Belfast. She was launched in 1912 and carried the proud title of the world's largest ship, having a gross tonnage of 46,328 tonnes. One of the most important parts of crossing the Atlantic is food. There is humongous amounts of food available every minute of every day, and it becomes, sometimes you feel almost obsessive and frantically devouring food, you know it's just amazing on a crossing you can just eat all the time and I would argue that for most people for the seven days other than perhaps a day when about a third of or even half of passengers get their sea legs and feel a bit queasy to eat you almost feel sometimes you're spending most of the rest of the seven days planning to eat getting ready to eat and eating and actually on a crossing on the Queen Mary 2 you can literally eat 24 hours a day you don't have to sleep you can just eat you can eat all day every day in one specific restaurant the king's court and then intersperse it with trips to others and if you desire you could actually also avoid the need to even get ready and dressed to eat by staying in your cabin and ordering from the 20-hour room service menu now i have an interview with the head chef and the hotel manager which will be in a different podcast talking to us about the pure logistics of this whole exercise of feeding passengers and the fact of course they have to plan because they can't pop off to the corner shop or the supermarket if they run out of anything and the interview that I will have in a separate podcast is really interesting just about that whole process but just as a slight headline over 15,000 meals are served every day for both passengers and crew 15,000 meals and let me tell you a little bit about if you're a passenger just what you could do if you want to eat so this is almost a guide to eating for 24 hours for seven days on a Queen Mary 2 crossing between 4 o'clock and 6 30 a.m. you can have a self-service continental breakfast in the King's Court buffet you can follow that from 6 30 to 11 30 with a full buffet breakfast in the same restaurant and you can actually pop along to your allocated restaurant at some point between 8 o'clock and 9 30 to have uh, another breakfast which is served to you then from 11 30 to 3 p.m you can self-serve yourself again in king's court 
but again you can pop along to your allocated restaurant from 12 30 to 2 p.m for a three course served meal between 3 o'clock and 5 30 p.m you can get a snack in king's court but actually you could also break that and head off for afternoon tea either in king's court or in the queen's room from 5 30 to 11 o'clock you can again have a self-service in the king's court or you can go for dinner in, in your restaurant if you're in britannia then you will either have a six o'clock or an 8 30 o'clock or 8 30 p.m shall i say sitting if you're in the grills you can go anytime between 6 30 and 9 o'clock then between 11 o'clock at night and four o'clock in the morning before you have your continental breakfast they're snacking in the king's court so you literally can eat for 24 hours any time of the day or night and although most of it is in the self-service restaurant there are a whole lot of other options i've already mentioned your different restaurants so you have your queen's grill your princess grill or britannia restaurant and if you remember from an earlier part on this podcast that restaurant depends on which class of cabin you've booked or type of cabin you've booked you you can have three course meals for all of those also there is one restaurant called the todd english restaurant and this is the only time that you need to pay extra to eat because all those other meals and all those other snacks are included in your fare no matter how much you've paid but the todd english restaurant does have a surcharge and you pay per course so you might pay another five or six dollars say for a starter anything up to 15 to 20 dollars for a main course and so on that's the only time you need to pay anything extra other things you can do i've already mentioned the afternoon tea the fabulous afternoon tea which is served between 3:30 and 4:30 in the queen's room and it's a very grand event where you know waiters will come around with white gloves and trays of sandwiches trays of beautiful cakes and scones you'll have someone playing the piano or a harpist you can also eat in the pub as well and you have traditional kind of pub food in the golden lion pub so it's just incredible you can just eat 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 that 15,000 meals every day and all the food for all those many options are carried on board and it just is absolutely an amazing amazing thing what's even more amazing is the food is fantastic you know it's fresh it's well made and also as you'll find out in the podcast where i interview the head chef everything is made from scratch so unlike other cruise lines which may buy you know pre-prepared sauces or pre-prepared mixes of some sort everything is made from scratch on the ship so whether that's bread whether that's gravies whether that's sauces everything is made you know authentically and from scratch but food 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 glorious food is an absolutely important and fundamental part of every single crossing on the queen mary too you've been listening to tips for travelers the global travel destination podcast a new destination with first-hand based advice recommendations and tips is added each month if you subscribe to the podcast thanks for your support if you don't you may want to consider subscribing by searching tips for travelers or gary beverage on itunes or your favorite podcast directory you can then subscribe to the tips for travelers global travel destination audio podcast or the video podcast with hotel rooms and attractions to find out more visit tipsfortravelers.com the travelers is spelled the uk way with two l's or email me at gary at mytravelreviews.co.uk